Good morning. How many of you actually stayed up to watch 2015 come into this new year? Three of you. Good. We see a lot of people. No, a lot of you stayed up. Um, it, it's interesting when you get into the new year, um, we, we, we start to think about time. Obviously, we think about this new year coming in. Many of us stay up. We celebrate it. We celebrate this new year coming in. I was just thinking about that. It, it's, it's like every year that we celebrate is one year closer to the return of the Lord. Amen. And, and I, I know some of you are time people. You're, you're, you're very scheduled. You, you like to be on time. And I know some of you are married to people that aren't time people who are always late. How many of you that just drives you nuts when you are time people and you're like, listen, we're going to be late. We need to be on time. And then you've got the other person, whether it's your spouse or someone else, and they're, and they're just like, hey, it's all right. Everything's good. It's going to be fine. And that just rattles your cage. You're like, no, we've got to be there on time. And so for some of us, time is a, is, is a big deal. And I think that we should know what time it is. I, I mean, I, I, you know, my kids are they're like that all the time. If you've if you got children... You know, Daddy, what time is it? Are we almost there yet? Remember that driving in long car trips? And, and so my response would always be 10 minutes because after a while they would just stop asking me. So whether, whether we had five hours to drive or 15 hours to drive or, or an hour to drive, my kids would say, Dad, how much longer do we get there? I would just say 10 minutes. So I would say 10 minutes. And then, then after a while, they would stop asking me how much longer. But, and I can always remember when I was in... Um, when I was in junior high school, I played modified soccer, and we had this soccer coach. His name was Coach Mertz, and uh, he, was very, he was a character, this guy. And um, we would be having soccer practice, and we'd always ask him what time it was because we wanted soccer practice to be done with, and he'd always tell us 10 till. And he'd always get everybody because somebody would, would, would verily ask what times, and he'd say 10 till, and then so they would ask 10 till what? And then he would reply, tend your own business. <laughs> I'm telling you, every practice, he would always get somebody. I'm like, don't even ask what time it is, because he's going to tell you, tend till. And then verily, somebody will say, tend till what? And he'll say, tend your own business. So we stopped, obviously, asking him what time it is. But how many know that we, need, as believers and followers of Christ, we need to know what time it is? And we are living in, in very exciting times if you're looking at biblical prophecy. And what we're going to look at today is, as we saw in the video on Daniel, th- there was a lot of cool things that happened in the book of Daniel, like Daniel Lion's Den and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and the fiery furnace. And those are kind of the stories you learn in Sunday school. And those are the kind of the stories that we highlight and, and, and are really intriguing and are really cool stories. But the greater story of Daniel... Is the, is the insight that Daniel is given on end times. Daniel is, is the most significant prophetic book in the whole Bible. And it's so important that we understand this. So what I'm going to attempt to do today, which pray for me, because this is going to be very interesting. I'm going to attempt to dissect Daniel chapter 9 for you. Because there is a prophetic image that Daniel is given, a vision that he is given from Gabriel, the, the, the angel, about end times and how 
things are going to wind up. Now, let, let me explain something to you. Some people will say, you, you can have one of two camps. You can get so immersed in biblical prophecy that it sidetracks us, right? What's going to happen at the end times? And we get so crazy about this. Everybody goes to their end time prophecy conferences and everybody has their end time charts. I always tell everybody what God's going to do at the end times when we all go to heaven, he's going to straighten everybody's end time charts out because everybody has their idea of how everything's going to end. And I understand everybody has their own opinion and, and different views on this. But, but what we all can agree on is this one thing, is Jesus is coming back. And we need to be ready as the church. And I believe the reason why Daniel was given this wonderful insight was to prepare you and I today for the return of the Lord. That it would, that it would so soften our hearts, that, that it would turn our hearts towards evangelism and that we would be about the Father's business and that we would continually spreading the wonderful message of Jesus Christ because he is coming back. And we know that once Christ returns, we know that, that, that the end time clock is going to be winding down. And uh, we know that um, it's going to be the end of God's grace and God reaching out uh, to mankind with his wonderful grace. And, and, and those times are coming very soon. And, 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 and I believe that we're very close to these things. I believe the other reason why God gives Daniel this wonderful insight is that through the, the prophecy of Daniel, it shows us who the Messiah is. And it's going to show us that it's going to point to Jesus Christ himself. Now, for you and I, most of us here are Gentiles, this isn't a big deal. But for somebody who's Jewish, who is looking for the Messiah, and there are actually Jews today who live in Jerusalem who are actually waiting for the Messiah to return. Now, they, they may not be looking for Christ himself, but they are waiting for Messiah because they understand Old Testament biblical prophecy. Now, for you and I that have insight to the New Testament and understand the Old Testament and looking into these things, we understand that Jesus Christ had fulfilled these things. And so Daniel's given this very insightful prophecy that Christ himself is the anointed one, that he is the Messiah. And we're going to see this by Daniel's prophecy of the 70 weeks. And so I want to unfold this. And I hope some, I told somebody to read Daniel chapter 9. So I hope some of you have already read this. But I want to try to unpack this for you today and try to make uh, some sense of what's going on here. But before we do that, let me give you a little bit um, background of, of Daniel himself. Because Daniel is just an incredible figure that we see in the Old Testament. Um, Daniel is this amazing figure who stood for God in the face of extreme opposition. Daniel remained firm to his conviction and, and, and to his convictions in a culture that was extremely opposite from where he came from in Jerusalem. Uh, Daniel was a young man. He was deported to Babylon after Babylon took over Jerusalem and Judah. And there's basically three, uh, three exiles that happened from Judah to Babylon. And Daniel was part of this. So was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And, and these four men really rose in authority um, within the Babylonian culture. Often when a country would take over another, they would look for the brightest of that country to serve them. And what they would do is they would leave the poorest in that country to tend the fields and, and so on and so forth. And that's basically what happened in Jerusalem. The poorest remained and they would tend the fields and um, uh, harvest wh whatever there could be to help Babylon. And then Babylon departed many of, of the others to this country and 
Daniel was one of them, and Daniel quickly rose to authority because he had this gifting of interpreting dreams from God. And so he was able to interpret King Nebuchadnezzar's dream, thus giving him extreme credibility. And so what happened to Daniel, he became highly favored, and uh, even though he was completely loyal to God without compromising his faith in God, uh, he became highly favored within the country of, of Babylon. But what I love about the book of Daniel is its connection to end times and this vision that Daniel is given. given. And I believe this is some of the most important, amazing prophetic words in all of the Bible. And I want to pack that for you today. So if you've got your Bibles, turn to Daniel chapter 9. And we're going we're gonna to look at this vision that Daniel is given as he is praying. And so Daniel remained faithful to God. Daniel would, would, would pray. He would seek God's face. And while he was praying one day, the angel Gabriel came to him and gave him this vision about the anointed one, the one who would Come. So what's important here about this prophecy is a couple things. Let, let me first lay this out for you. First, what's most important, Daniel is given this vision on who exactly would be the Messiah. This is important. This is very important for, uh, for Jewish people that they would know who is the Messiah, who is coming to rescue us. Now, we know that when Jesus came, uh, they weren't thinking that it was going to be one who was going to actually lay his life down for them. They thought it would be one that would be a political leader who would take them out of this oppression from Roman rule. But Daniel is given this vision on exactly what would happen to the Messiah, to the T. And he's, he's, he's going to be shown exactly what's going to happen. And, and for us here today, we can look back and say, oh my goodness, God was so specific in his prophecy. For you and I here today, we can know without a shadow of a doubt through just this prophecy alone in Daniel chapter 9 that Jesus is who he says he is. And, and, and the Christ that you're trusting today in Jesus is indeed the Son of God who is God, who came to save God's people from their sins. So you can trust him today just through this prophecy alone. So let's unpack this. Daniel chapter 9, verses 20 through 27. And uh, we're going to try to make sense of this whole thing. All right. So let's start with verse 20. Here, Daniel, he's praying. He says, I went on praying and confessing my sins and the sin of my people, pleading with the Lord, my, uh, my God, for Jerusalem, his holy mountain. Remember, it's destroyed right now. Jerusalem's completely destroyed. The temple is destroyed. And as Daniel is in Babylon, he's remembering these things and he's confessing his sins and the sins of his people that God would bring restoration uh, to his country, to, to this country. Verse 21, as I was praying, Gabriel, whom I had seen in an earlier vision, came swiftly to me at the time of the evening sacrifice. And he explained to me, Daniel, I have come here to give you insight and understanding. The moment you began praying, a command was given, and now I am here to tell you what it was, and you are very precious to God. Listen carefully so that you can understand the meaning of your vision. And here is the vision that Daniel is given from the angel Gabriel. A period of 70 sets of sevens have been decreed for your people and for your holy city 
to finish their rebellion, to put an end to their sin, to atone for their guilt, to bring an everlasting righteousness, to confirm the prophetic vision, and to anoint the most holy place. Now listen and understand. Seven sets of seven plus 62 sets of seven will pass from the time the command is given to rebuild Jerusalem until a ruler, the anointed one, if you've got your Bibles, underline that, the anointed one, that's very important. We're going to dissect what that means, comes. Jerusalem will be rebuilt with streets and strong defenses despite the perilous times. After this period of 62 sets of seven, the anointed one will be killed. Mm, Can you get any more specific than that? And we're going to dissect that in just a minute. Appearing to have accomplished nothing and a ruler will, will arise whose armies will destroy the city and the temple. The end will come with a flood and war and its miseries are decreed from that time to the very end. We're not done. Look at verse 27. The ruler will make a treaty with the people for a period of one set of sevens. But after half this time, he will put an end to the sacrifices and offerings. And as a climax to all his terrible deeds, he will set up a sacrilegious object that causes desecration until the fate decreed for this defiler is finally poured out on him. Now, what's interesting about this, let me just say this as we move on. What's interesting about this prophecy is Jesus even talks about this prophecy. He calls, he calls this the abomination that will cause desolation. What Daniel is talking about here is the Antichrist. So we know this is a futuristic event that will happen during the tribulation. So, so let's jump into this. First of all, what is the 70 prophecy? I believe this is one of the most detailed prophecies in all of the Old Testament. What Daniel is doing here, he's praying Gabriel, the the angel, gives Daniel this prophecy, but a couple questions we need to answer in this prophecy so they can make sense. First of all, when you look at this prophecy, we see a division. There are three divisions here. Gabriel says, 77s are decreed for your people and its holy cities. Now, most commentators, most scholars agree that the 77s mean 70 weeks of years which total 490 years from when that decree was given. So in the Hebrew, it's better translated 77s than 70 weeks. I believe the NIV, the NLT does a good job interpreting that. So the word decree means to cut or cut out or decide. So what God says is I'm giving you these decrees. I'm cutting out this specific time. And I'm going to give you three sets of times uh, that are going to happen right before you. And so this time has been set apart for God's people, Israel, and his holy city. Now, here's how I see it. This prophecy revolves around God's people, Israel. And I believe that God is not done with Israel. That God is still going to fulfill that prophecy right before our very eyes. Here's the reason why. Because we have the book of Revelation to read. And the book of Revelation shows us exactly what happens. The book of Revelation even gives us greater detail into this prophecy in Daniel chapter 9. So we see these three divisions. 
within this time, and this is very important for us to understand, we see God cutting out first this seven sevens or 49 years. Then we see it's going to be 62 sevens or 434 years. And lastly, he said there's one seven or seven years. And what's interesting about this last seven years is Daniel says it's going to be broken up into three and a half years and three and a half years, which the book of Revelation tells us exactly what is going to happen in those last three and a half years. You're all confused, but that's okay. It's all going to come together, okay? Because this is, this, is, this is interesting because the reason why I like this prophecy so much is because it's complete, completely cooperated through the book of Revelation. So we know that this last seven years has not happened yet. It's still in the future. And so the book of Revelation gives us a greater glimpse of that. Even Jesus gives a glimpse of that for us in Matthew chapter 24. So these three divisions or these three decrees total 490 years. Now, what, what, what is the, the, the purpose of these 70 weeks? Well, we're given the answer there in verse 24. It says to finish transgressions, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring in an everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. Now, here's where we can get off track. We can can look at this prophecy and get all hyped up about end times and, okay, let's go, let's, pastor, jump into the book of Revelation because this is where it gets good. Talk about the Antichrist and Armageddon and all that stuff. All that stuff is fine and dandy and cool, but the purpose of this prophecy is to anoint the most holy Jesus Christ. This prophecy is, is about Jesus. End times is about Jesus. It's about Jesus coming back. It's about Jesus setting up his millennial reign. It's about Jesus being the King of Kings and Lord of Lords and forever ruling as our Lord and Savior. That's what this is about. So let's not, let's not miss because here's what Daniel says. The purpose of this is to finish transgressions, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring an everlasting righteousness, to seal up this vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy which is all fulfilled in Christ Jesus. Now, what do we know? Well, here's what we know so far. What we do know for sure is that the first 483 years have been fulfilled. You say, well, pastor, how do you know that? I'm glad you asked that question. Here's how we know this. Daniel was told by Gabriel that the prophetic clock would start at the time, a decree would be issued to rebuild broken, the broken city of Jerusalem, lasting until the anointed one would come, which would last 483 years. So what do we know from history? Well, here's what we know from history. The date the decree was given to rebuild Jerusalem came from King Artaxerxes of Persia in 445 BC. So this was a decree that they could go back rebuild the city, rebuild the temple. And that's exactly what happened. Now, if you're going to put these years together, we know that in Nehemiah uh, chapter two, verses one through eight, that this decree was given. uh, They were, they were allowed to go back and to start to rebuild Jerusalem. This first 49 years is what it took to completely rebuild Jerusalem, not just the wall, but the streets and cities. Now look at verse 25. It says, Jerusalem will be rebuilt with streets and strong defenses despite perilous times. 
The rebuilding of the city came with perilous times. Was there not objection to them coming back and rebuilding that city? There was. This prophecy was dead on. So if we use the Jewish calendar based on a 360-day lunar year from 445 BC, and we fast forward 483 years, guess where we would end up? Hopefully this will blow your mind. I know you're all still in your Christmas, New Year's, you know, mindset right now, but let me just blow your mind. Can I blow your mind? Are you ready? If you're to for, fast forward 483 years from that first decree of the seven sevens to the next one, guess where it ends us up? AD 30, the time Jesus makes his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Say what? Yeah. You, you can't make this stuff up. And so here we see the exact time when Jesus makes his entry. There is no doubt that Daniel is speaking of Jesus Christ. There's no doubt in our mind. I, uh, the AD 30 is the exact time that Jesus makes his triumphal entry into Jerusalem where he will give his life on a cross and literally as Daniel prophesied would be cut off. Now here's the side note. Let me just give you a side note here. Here's what's really cool. What angel told Mary that she would give birth to, to the Messiah? Gabriel. Uh, what uh, angel told Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist's birth, that, would, that forecasted his birth? Gabriel. Gabriel's just a man of good news. He's the good news. He's the good news angel. He, he's, got, he's the bearer of good news. That's, I like Gabriel. That's pretty cool stuff there that he was able to do that, bear the news of the Messiah, the Messiah coming, bear the news to, to Daniel, bear the news to Zechariah. Uh, you just can't make this stuff up. So here's what happens. Daniel's vision said at the end of the 483 years, the anointed one would be cut off or killed. Now, the Hebrew transliteration for anointed one literally means Messiah. So here's what I want you to see. Jesus is called the anointed one, meaning the Christ or Messiah. He is the fulfillment of Daniel's prophecy. Now, how do we know this? Well, the Greek equivalent or the language that the New Testament was written in for anointed one or Messiah is the word Christos. That's the Greek word for Christos, which means Christ in English. So when we say Jesus Christ, what we are literally saying is Jesus, the Messiah or Jesus, the anointed one. Jesus is the fulfillment of this prophecy. And this is vital, as I said earlier, for the Jewish people that were looking for a Messiah to come and save them. And so what I believe about this prophecy is this prophecy is dealing with the Jewish people. Now, you say, what about that last seven years? Pastor, it ended way back. The last 483 years ended when Jesus was cut off. There's a gap there where... How come the next seven years weren't fulfilled? What, what's, what, what is going on? What, what do we do with the last seven years? Well, the one thing we see in this prophecy is a gap or a time gap. The prophecy tells us that after the 62 sevens, the anointed one will be cut off or killed or have, or have nothing. At this point, Jesus doesn't have the heart of Israel. Jesus being cut off is reference to the crucifixion. So the question is, why the gap? 
Why the gap between the 69th week in Daniel's prophecy and the 70th week? Why do we have that gap? Well, uh, I'm glad you asked that question because I've got a couple answers for you here. Let me give you a couple reasons why we are in this gap. Here's, here's what I believe. And, and I know there's, there's different interpretations, once again, with this, and different people have different interpretations. This, this is the way I see it through Scripture, and the way I see it is the right way, so just deal with it. Okay, so I'm just teasing. Okay, so I believe this prophecy is dealing with the Jewish people and their restoration. Here's the reason why. Right now, we are living in a church age or the age of grace where God is pouring out his grace on all mankind. That whosoever shall believe in Jesus Christ shall be saved, right? For God so loved the world that whosoever shall believe him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. I believe we are living in an age of grace where God is pouring out his grace on all flesh and all who come to him can know the saving power of Jesus Christ. Here's the reason why I believe this, this prophecy is dealing with the Jewish people and their restoration. Let me be clear here. God is not done with Israel. Biblical prophecy for Israel is not done. And we are living in an age of grace whereby God's grace is saving all who come to him. If you read through the book of Revelation, what's interesting, after chapter 4, you never hear the church mentioned again to the very end. That's interesting. Why don't you ever? Why? Because I believe the church is raptured. I believe the church is taken out of the scene to allow this next seven years that Dan, I'm starting to get chills. Ruth, I'm getting chills right now because this is good stuff. To allow this next seven years to be fulfilled in Daniel's prophecy. And this is the year of, uh, these are the years of tribulation where God will deal with Israel. God will pour out his judgment, but it's through that judgment that God will bring restoration and bring that remnant back to him. I believe it's God dealing and finishing up his promise that he made to Israel through Abraham. And it's going to happen through these seven years. And I I don't believe it has anything to do with the church. I know you can email me later. I know people have different interpretations on this. But me personally, I cannot... For the life of me, look at Daniel's prophecy and say, this has anything to do with the church. It doesn't. This gap we're living in is the church age that God is moving by his grace and, 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 and allowing all men to come to him. But there's going to be a time where that chapter will close. And that's the chapter of the great tribulation. And I believe that before that tribulation starts, the church will be taken out of the scene. Paul talks about this, that the church is is, is not ordained for wrath. And I believe this is where God will use this period of time to bring Israel back to him, restoring her, allowing her to come back, to use this to bring that remnant back to him. So what happens here? Let me let me give you some insight here on this period of the of the tribulation or the last seven weeks. How do we know that we haven't lived through this tribulation yet? Because some people say, well, that seven years has already been fulfilled. How do we know that we haven't lived through the tribulation yet? I'm glad you asked. So let me explain that to you. Let me give you a couple of key things here. One, Daniel describes the action of the Antichrist, which has not happened yet. Now, there is this spirit of the Antichrist that's among us now that we see in Scripture. But the person 
of the Antichrist has not yet been fulfilled. People say, well, is it this person? Is it that person? We do not know. And guess what? We will not know because if you're part of the church, we will be raptured away, okay? So don't worry about it. Chill out. Some of you are like, should, Pastor, should I get, um, should I get um, uh, credit cards with little chips in them? I mean, because, you know, that could be the sign of the beast and what, what's going on there and could that be trouble for Listen, everybody just chill out, okay? Just relax, okay? We see the signs all around us, but these things are going to be completely revealed during the seven years of tribulation. So let me give you a key, couple key, key things here. The Antichrist will make a covenant with Israel and will deceive them and come up with a peace plan. And this will begin the seven years. And halfway through that, we understand that he will break that promise, break that covenant, and set up the abomination that causes desolation in the temple. That's what Daniel talked about. That's what Jesus talked about. And thus the great tribulation will begin where God will pour out his judgment. Jesus talks about this in Matthew 24. The book of Revelation gives us further details into the specifics of the great tribulation. But this will only happen for a time. And then the evil of the Antichrist will be judged. And this is how Daniel ends his prophecy. And and it's not good for the Antichrist. Verse 27 says in Daniel's prophecy in chapter 9, it says, until the fate decreed for this defiler is finally poured out on him. Jesus will come back. And the Bible tells us that he will step on the Mount of Olives and he will set up his kingdom as the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And so when this evil is poured out, when when he tries to bring his destruction, God will come and he will judge that. Jesus isn't coming back as a little baby in a manger. He's going to come back as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And all creation will know who that King truly is. Thank God that we know that now as followers of Jesus Christ. And so Jesus will come up and set up his kingdom. So my question to you, I want to circle back. My my question to you comes back to this first question. Do you know what time it is? Because I believe that time is winding down. And I believe that Jesus is coming back. And the thing that we need to be prepared for is this. Jesus, am I ready for your return? It's interesting that every time Jesus was posed the question about end times, he would always circle that question back to evangelism. What are you doing now? See, the issue is not whether or not you're pre-trib, post-trib, mid-trib, whatever it is. That's really not the question. Because we can, I have my views on it. You can have your views on it. And we can argue about that all day long. The bottom line is, are we ready? The bottom line is, is my heart prepared? Am I really, am I looking to the return of the Lord? Or is it something that I've just kind of put on the back shelf? Is it something that I just really don't think about every day? I can always remember, I had this professor in Bible college, his name was Brother Elliot. He was just the sweetest, dearest professor, loved Jesus with all his heart. And I remember he always would say this. He'd always say, he'd always say, brothers and sisters. He, he even talked like preachy when he was teaching. I just loved him. He would say, brothers and sisters, you have a test next, next week if the Lord tarries. He goes, you have an assignment due in three weeks if 
the Lord tarries. So we would all pray, Lord, come back now because I don't want to do the assignment, right? But I always love that about Brother Elliot because he was always anticipating the return of the Lord. Maranatha, the return of the Lord. And so that's what I would say to us for you and I here today. Our hearts prepared. And that's what I believe leads us so well into uh, communion this morning. Because Paul gives us some insight on how we are to take communion. I want to read that for you today in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And listen to what Paul says about communion, because this ties in with the whole thing we're talking about today. He says, For I received from the Lord what I also pass on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. And listen to what he says next, verse 26. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Every single time we take communion... What we are doing is we're, we are looking back at what Christ did for us. We're looking back at, at his death, his blood that was shed for us, that he was perfect, that he was our substitute for our lives, for our sins, that he bore our sins upon his back, that he became a sacrifice for you and I. So we look back and we remember we to do that. And so when we take the bread and the cup, it's symbolic of Jesus giving himself to us, shedding his blood for us. And we remember that. And we never want to forget what he did for us. So we look back. But we also look to the presence. And, and in the presence, we see that he is restoring us, that he forgives us, that he heals us, that he forgives us of our sins, that we are set free because of his precious sacrifice. So not only do we look back and not only do we look to the present, but we also look to the future. That by proclaiming his death, we're also saying, Jesus, you're coming back. And you're coming back for a spotless bride without stain or wrinkle. That you're coming back to get us and to take us home. And that you're preparing for us this, as the book of Revelation says, this beautiful banquet that we're going to be able to sit at this beautiful wedding feast prepared by our wonderful groom, Jesus Christ. And we're able to sit there not because of anything we've done, but because of everything Jesus Christ has done for us. So my question to you is, are you prepared? Are you ready? Are we just living our lives thinking, oh, what am I going to do next or this or, oh, 2015? Let's live our lives this way. You know what? This could be the year that Jesus comes back. This could be it. And, and how would knowing that if Jesus were to come back in 2015, how would that change the way I live my life today? And if it doesn't change my life, or if I'm very apathetic about it, there's something wrong with my heart. There's something wrong. I've become cold. 
I become stagnant in my walk with Jesus. I want to be like Brother Elliot. I want to be like him. If the Lord tarries, if the Lord tarries, if the Lord tarries, be ready, be prepared. If the Lord tarries, be about his work. You know, don't grow weary in doing good. I know you're going through a tough time. I know you're going through trials, but don't give up. Don't give up. Don't give up. Keep pressing forward. Keep pressing on. There's a great prize that waits for all of us who put our hope and our trust in Jesus Christ. Amen. So as we come to the Lord's table today, let's prepare our hearts. Let's prepare our hearts. Let's get them right. Paul says for us to examine our hearts to make sure that that everything is right. So let's, do, let's be honest before the Lord today. That God, you would just take my heart, that I would re-examine if there's things that are wayward, if there are things that are off, that you would take those things and that you would correct them so that I would have a greater desire to know you in this new year. May that be all our desire this year, that we would know Christ in a deeper way. That whatever we may go through is an opportunity to know Christ in a new and deeper way way, waiting for his return. So Lord, we bow our hearts before you today. And Lord, we just ask that God, you would help us not to grow weary, not, not, to, uh, not to become apathetic, but to realize you have given us scripture, you have given us these prophecies to allow us to see that you are coming back and you're coming back soon. But Lord, I pray that you would just change our hearts here today. That we would be ready for you. That our hearts would anticipate your return. And with that, God, we would allow the things that happen in our life to be used as stepping stones to draw closer to you. So Lord, just examine our hearts. If there be anything in there that is wrong or wayward, that you would correct that today as we just worship you. And I thank you, Lord, for all you've done for us. Thank you that prophecy points to Jesus, that we can trust him today, that he indeed is the savior of the world and that every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. May we bow our hearts to you today. Cleanse us anew and afresh, we pray. In Jesus' wonderful name, in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen, amen.